Ahoy, Yomalis! Welcome to the Naked Mannerite, the podcast for, you know, all of Mano Simons' uh, black sheep, you know. Uh, I, of course, am your host, Stephen Harder, and uh, most of you know my parents. They uh, are Diedrich and Helena Harder. They were out in Grunthal there before uh, they retired to the manor. Uh, and uh, just thank you so much for coming and listening in on my little uh, conversation that I've got lined up today. I'm going to be having a chat with uh, you know, one of Steinbeck's most funniest funny guys you know. He's, uh, his name is Andrew Unger, and he has been writing some frightfully funny stuff on the internet there about Mennonites and how they act and behave and all sorts of sputzing and joking around. He's He's got quite the brain on that one, let me tell ya. So I'm going to just give him a call here on the party line and we'll see if we can, we'll see if we can uh, get him on the line here. Let's see what we can do. Uh, hi. Hello, is this, uh, is this Mr. Andrew Unger? Yes, it is. Who oh, I that's so great. This is, uh, Mr. Stephen Harder from Gruntal calling you. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are going to have that chat here today on, on the party line here. I've, have I caught you at an okay time? Yeah, but if this is a party line, who else is listening in? Oh, you never know. It could be anybody, really. Uh, you know, it's probably people who, uh, you know, are just needing to catch up on the local news, you know, and oh. uh, just wanting to, you know, just needing a little bit of entertainment. Maybe their Wi-Fi is down, you know how it is. Some heavy breathing. Oh, yeah, that's probably Mary Schmidt. I yeah. think she's been uh, struggling with her post-COVID a little bit. Yeah. I told her to get vaccinated, but she wouldn't listen. Omicron is maybe listening in. Oh, maybe. I think it's everywhere. Yo, you know, kind of like the Holy Spirit, and also like the devil. They're both everywhere all the time, it seems. Well, it's good. That's kind of balances out then. Yo, exactly. You can't have... It's all supposed to be very balanced. That's very biblical. Uh, that, uh, you know, good is balanced out with bad, you know. That's, uh, that's definitely there in the Bible. So, Mr. Andrew, thanks so much for chatting with me here today. So glad to, uh, to have this opportunity with you, a funny man such as yourself. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the name of this here program is called the Naked Mennonite. So, you know, everyone on the program, you know, has to be two things. Uh, you know, the first one, obviously, is that they have to be naked. So, uh, I can confirm for you here on the phone that, you know, I'm sitting here in the kitchen at the counter here on my stool. Uh, it's a little chilly in here, uh, but, uh, don't have a, have a stitch clothing on me here. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, I can't wait to be getting back into my long johns, you know, cause it's awful chilly in here, but you know, the show's gotta go on. So I can confirm that, you know, that's, that all that I'm wearing is nothing. I can, can you confirm the same? Well, I never stripped down beyond, you know, my suspenders. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that you were into that kind of kink, but... Yeah. Well, I uh, couldn't figure out what, what, to, what to clip them onto, though. Uh-huh. And so you decided on... I'm, they're just sort of hanging loosely. Oh, they're just dangling there. Dangling suspenders, yes. Yeah, dangling by your knees? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, okay, okay. I figured you're an unger, so you know it goes without saying. Okay, so then uh, we got uh, we got that one out of the way. Oh, that's a that's always a tricky one, you know, because I don't want to get too inappropriate. It's challenging sometimes. Okay, and the second thing, in order to be on the show here, you know, you need to be a Mammonite. So I just got a quick little quiz for you here, and you know, so long as you pass the quiz, then absolutely you you qualify, uh, and we can have a nice little chitty chat. Okay. But don't, don't, you don't worry, have to worry. This isn't like, it's not a written quiz, so you don't have to, you know, if, you, if that kind of thing makes you nervous. Shoot. Oh, I guess if I'm going to say shoot, I'll say uh, go. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Okay, question number one. What method of baptism did you receive? Uh, well, okay. It was a dunking. <gasps> oh, my. Some Mennonites... Dunking, the, the the MBs and the EMBs do dunking, and I was an EMB, so. Oh, whoa, EMB. Uh, what? What? I, I I don't know what an EMB is. That is that one of those uh, you know branches? You know what? You know you know a liger. It's a liger. Like a lion and a tiger. Okay, yo. So the EMB is like a cross between the EMC and the MB. They made it. This is not the true history of this denomination, but I'm just saying it's an analogy. Interesting. So instead of, you know, forming their own two separate denominations, they just got together and like co, you know, made a uh, a chimera of types. Yes, and, and you know, it's like a. I don't know my Greek myths. I only know my Mennonite myths. So what's the horse with the lion's head and the uh yeah it's like that it's like a horse with a lion the EMBs are like a horse with a lion's head sounds majestic and inspiring and totally not true because someone will come come and, and and they'll say you have the history you know how Mennonites are this should be part of your quiz they're really if you get any detail wrong about the history of their church or their family, they're on you like a horse with a lion's head. You know, it's just so I'm a little bit nervous about this going out there into the world there, Stephen Harder. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll just we'll just edit it out. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'll just I'll just uh, I'll just remember to cut that part out. Oh, phew. Okay. Okay, but you're baptized by dunking. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I think that one's a pass then there. Okay, question number two on the on the quiz here. Uh, what is the best ice cream treat to have with your can of Pepsi? Oh, a ravel. Oh yeah, I know, right? That was that was a little bit of an easy. I kind of set you up for that one. That one was really sample then. Uh, if you had to choose between a ravel and a drumstick, though, what would you choose? Uh, I would choose the creamsicle. Oh, okay, that's, oh, interesting. That's valid. That's fair, I guess. Okay, but like creamsicle or ice cream sandwich, what would you choose then? Oh, uh, I'm sticking with the creamsicle. What's with you and the creamsicles? I just like the the orange with the ice cream inside. Well, I know what it is. What's with it? It's delicious. Hmm. I think it's because I grew up going to Uncle Jake's at the Clear Spring Mall, 
and always they didn't have any other beverages. They didn't have Pepsi. They didn't have Coke. They didn't have anything other than uh, like Orange Cross or C plus or something like that. And so that really? just resonates with me. Oh, Cisco must have been really asleep at the switch there. Okay, creamsicle, but yeah, Ravel goes with Pepsi. Okay, got it. Okay, question number three on the quiz, really simple. If you had to choose one country to emigrate to and immigrate from, which would it be and why? <laughs> to immigrate to? Uh, well, Paraguay, of course. Oh, yo, yo, exactly. exactly. It's the land of... Um, I don't know what's the land of Yerba Mate and hot weather, right? Oh, sorry, what was that? Hot weather and Yerba. Oh, oh, yo, yeah. What? What? But they have a different name for Yerba when it's cold, right? What do they call it then? Uh, I don't know. Mate, or is it the other way around? I don't know. You're, you're even harder. Yo, well, I'm testing you here and oh. longer. You know. Oh, okay. I don't know. The nuances of the yerba mate, I, I don't know. I guess mate means hot, right? The yeah, oh hot. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, so the, I was, the important I, thing is that you're drinking it from a horn with a metal slotted slurpy spoon. That's, you know, that's the important thing. I, I have visited Paraguay for mm. illegally. What? I'm telling you about my illegal visit to Paraguay for an hour. An hour? Yes. What were you doing in Paraguay illegally for an hour? I was in Brazil. Well, no, that's not Paraguay. That's Brazil. Those are different countries. Sorry. I was in Brazil at where the waterfall, the Iguazu Falls are. And we were going back to the hotel. And the guy in our taxi cab said, hey, you want to go to Paraguay? And I said, well, I don't have my passport with me. It's in the hotel safe. He's like, oh, doesn't matter. I can talk to the guy. So we, so we crossed the border into whatever city of Paraguay is on the border with Brazil there. I think it's, uh, I'm probably saying this wrong, Ciudad del Este or something. Oh, yeah, you said that right. Yes, okay, got it. And we went there, drove around a little bit, and then on the way back, apparently this is like a cross-border shopping paradise for Brazilians. They go to Paraguay cross-border shop, kind of, kind of like the Grand Forks, Manitobans. This is like the same sort of idea. Uh, and and then, a longer drive for a Manitoban to go to Paraguay, yeah, but yeah, okay, sure. Cross-border shopping. And then, and then when we were coming back into Brazil, then I was a little bit nervous because we didn't, again, we didn't have a passport with us. But the guy talked to the guy, and it was smooth sailing. I don't know if he just talked to him, but... We made it back through. Interesting. Well, you, did you have to pay the taxi driver extra for that little detour? Well, I negotiated. Yeah, I negotiated. It was on the meter. He kept us on the meter. So I negotiated. He told us approximately how much it would cost. You know, whatever. And, you know, so now I can say I've been to Paraguay, but I have not been to the Chaco, which is where, you know, all the Frinshoft are. Interesting. You were just illegally there near Brazil doing who knows what for an hour. Interesting. Shopping with, won't say what you're shopping for, giant tarantula probably. Okay, so you would immigrate to Paraguay. Where would you, em where would you choose to immigrate from? 
Well, I mean, of course, I would have to choose to immigrate from Soviet Union. Mm, naturally, naturally. Why, why is that? Why, why would you choose that place to immigrate from? Well, isn't this a test to see how Mennonite I am? Oh, yo, exactly. Oh. But we, you have to have the proper justification. You can't okay. this oh, is wait, a wait. multiple choice. I'll give you a better answer. I would, I would choose to immigrate from the Netherlands, then to Prussia then to Russia, then to Canada, then to Mexico, then to Paraguay, Belize, Bolivia, and back to Canada, and then back to Mexico, and then back to Canada. That would be my immigration journey. Oh. Now, that, that's, that, you, uh, you just uh, left out, no, you didn't leave out any place, Andrew, you got them all. Good work. I was, I was rooting for you. I didn't know if you'd get that last Canada back in there, but yeah, you pulled it out at the last, good job. I'd, uh, I'd give you a round of applause if that wasn't, might, you know, cause you to feel pride, proud or something, so. But good job. Okay, so you pass, you pass the quiz. You're both naked and Mennonite. So welcome to the program here. Uh, so good to have you. Um, can you, you know, give me a little bit of a description. Who, like, who is Andrew Unger? Like, what, if I needed to, like, if I looked him up on the Wikipedia there, uh, what's what would be in that little opening paragraph that you read and you know quote from when you're doing your Facebook debates? Well, have you been editing my Wikipedia page? No, no, I've only heard about Wikipedia. Oh, uh, okay. Using Carta down at the library, though. But apparently, you can just add stuff in there in, on oh. Wikipedia. Just put things, whatever you want, on there. Um, I, I, I have a, I have a, a satire website called the daily bonnet and I also have a couple books. That's probably what I'm known for. That's probably the answer to your question. Is that complex enough for you? No, no, that, that's a real good prim, primer primer. That, that's a very good opening. I would say, uh, okay. So, uh, you have, uh, one of these funny people websites. Uh, where you do the spotzing, and you've got a couple books. Uh, the books are they thing filled as well, or, or are they more serious in nature? I would say there's they've got they've got some fun, some got, they've got funny moments in them. Yeah, I have a novel called Once Removed that came out a year ago. Oh yeah, I heard about that one. Just recently, a collection of articles from the Daily Bonnet called The Best of the Bonnet. Oh, interesting. You want me to read you some headlines from there? Oh, yo, that'd be good. I need to catch up on my headline. Oh, here's some, some news. Friesen, Friesen wedding is well attended by local Friesens. Oh, yeah, I heard about that one there. Yeah, absolutely. The Friesen, Friesen wedding, totally. Uh, weren't they related to the uh, Friesen drillers there? Uh, they could be. I'm sure some of those drillers were there. Well, here's one for you. I did for latest installment in the Harder Boys series. Have you? Did you ever read the Harder Boys books? The Harder Boys? No, I wasn't allowed to read those ones. Yeah, yeah like the secret of Mrs. Schellenberg's pantry and the secret of Mrs. Lowen's duck and the secret of the Plet Barn. The secret of the missing hymnals. That was a really good Harder Boys book. Of the missing hymnals? Oh, that sounds like a real page turner there. Yeah. What, um, where, where were the hymnals? Well, you have to read the book to find out. Maybe, maybe I can sleep down, down to the, you know, take up. This one's a little, a little bit sadder news, but Mennonite woman dies, donates her organs. 
and and but you know her Wurlitzers, you know, her her Hammonds, she was donating. Well, it's it's good to probably to MCC then or yeah yeah well yes yeah Mennonite churches are begging people to sign their organ donor cards, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mrs. Weens assures you that they will never, these organs, if you donate them, will never be used to play rock songs. Oh, well, that, that should go without saying, but you never know in this day and age with everyone being so progressive, conservative. Yes. Isn't that an oxymoron? Sure, now that I say those words out loud, it sure feels like an oxymoron, but apparently not. Apparently that's... Uh, are, you, are you one of those extreme centrists? <laughs> I am no no I'm definitely not an extreme centrist I'm more of a moderate left rightist <laughs> oh those are some interesting headlines there Andrew so and if you're if you're reading the best of the bonnet then uh, we can be reading those articles in full I imagine or is it the kind of thing where you have to subscribe for a monthly thing in order to get access to it oh well the website has the articles but the book uh, the book has the articles too and the book also has some things that the website doesn't have, like in the back, there's even a glossary. I know that you would have no, you wouldn't require the glossary, but there's a glossary of 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 uh, low German words, like no, like uh, you know, for the Englishers uh, who might have troubles with it, like like uh, like they might not know Oma that that Oma means grandmother, the, the one who feeds you, uh, uh, uncle, uncle. The one who complains a lot about politics. And uh, Opa, grandfather, the one who tells you uh, stories he claims are true but probably aren't. <laughs> Tonta was on a different page. I was just reading you the O's there. you know. So. Oh, oh, I, I see. Yo, yo. Very helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those Englishers, they could really benefit from a little bit of uh, understanding when it comes to to some of our our teach kind of like like they I was at the MHV one time and I saw that they had a plo teach dictionary of all things. Can you believe that? Can you believe it? I thought it was an unwritten. Apparently, they they wrote it down so that people would know uh, what it meant. So uh, okay, so Andrew, he's this author. He's the the guy who's making these funny, witty observations about Mennoniteism, uh, like. When when he thinks of the Mennonite label, you know how what are how do, what parts of that? Because because it, it means a lot of different things, right? Like it can you know you can be a religious Mennonite, you can be like you know an ancestrally Mennonite, you can be culturally Mennonite, you know, or any combination thereof. Like when when you think of yourself as a Mennonite. Like, what, what parts of those labels stick the best to you? Which ones fit the best? Which ones, you know, maybe don't fit so well? I would say they all stick a little bit. A little bit they stick, and then, but not entirely. You know, well, ancestrally, yeah, okay, my ancestors have been Mennonites for a long time, so that one, I guess, sticks... But like culturally, you know, culturally, um, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, what what would be the cultural things of a Russian Mennonite? You know, like foods. Okay, yeah, I eat the foods, sure. But I'm, I'm not certainly not fluent in Plotich like you are, Stephen Harder. No, you know? well, who is? 
Yeah, I, I'm not, uh, my skills are, are, are weak there. So, you know, so culturally, I would say there's definitely people who are more authentic than I am culturally, you know, who might even have a beard, though. Is that, is that part oh. of it? Oh, yeah, that, that, that gets you a couple points. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and religiously, uh, I would say it's a sort of a negotiation thing where I kind of like, I would definitely not say, if I read, I've never, I've never read the complete writings of Menno Simons. It's a thick book. Have you read that? I'm, you, I'm sure Stephen Harder, if you have a this, you've read the complete writings of Menno Simons. I, I've got it on the bedside table there. I'm definitely going to get around to it, I'm sure. <laughs> so, I, you know, it, uh, if I read that, I'm sure there would be much that I would that I would disagree with. So, uh, but, you know, I might agree with Menno on some things. You know, I think it's good. I think Menno was right mm-hmm. about not killing people. Hmm. One. Um, hmm. So that's a good one. Mark that one down in the keeper column, you know? Marrying your cousins? Well, I don't know. Take or leave that one, maybe. Shunning? Not a fan. I don't think mm. we should. But what about with the, like, because you know, there's loopholes, you know, you get them, you know, you still sit at the same, you know, tablecloth together, even if you aren't at the same table. That's true. You put the two yeah. tables together and put the tablecloth over. That's exactly. true. There's workarounds. Yeah. That's true. So bad. I have some family members that I'd like to be shunned from. I think that'd be a nice break. You could shun them. Oh, no, 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 no. I, that'd be too unchristian of me. Would you rather be shunned or be do the shunning? Mm, I would rather be shunned easily. Oh, that'd be simple. Because then, oh, okay, fine. I'm going to you know, go off and do my own thing. But yeah, I don't want someone to be angry at me because I'm shunning them, you know? Yeah. But did you did you hear about the uh, the Mennonites that? Um, did you hear about that drive-by shunning? No, I did not hear about the drive-by shunning. It's a brutal drive-by shunning in in Ohio. Ooh, yeah, that's a dangerous place, Ohio. <laughs> so, um, oh, Andrew, the other day I was um, uh, just uh, popped into that uh, new brew house. You know, on on Main Street there in Steinbeck. Not not like I I went in just to use the bathroom. You know. Yeah, you didn't know what it was. Did they need? Did they, did they ask for? A, did you need to ask for a key? Uh, they just buzzed me in. Oh, okay. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. There are two new technology there. But did I? Did I? I I saw the back of someone, and I thought I didn't think that it was you because I knew that a a good Unger boy such as yourself would not be at a public brew house like the one in Steinbeck on Main Street that's now open and for business. Um, but that wasn't you, right? Uh, of course we wouldn't have acknowledged each other. Nah, yo. Didn't you, didn't you vote on that referendum? Where <laughs> yeah. Uh, vote, uh, against acknowledging each other in places like that. Exactly. Not exactly. So I'm pretty sure you did not recognize me there. I'm pretty sure. What happened? What happens at the LC stays in the LC, right? Unless it comes out in a brown paper bag. They sell chips and stuff there now, I think. So Chips? Oh, yo, good. Chaps. Good. Old Dutch chaps. chaps. Akosina chaps. Mm. Apple chaps. So, 
So you're saying that, you know, parts of the labels apply, even if they don't, uh, you know, apply hard and fast, you know. How is that? Is that the same? Is that different from Andrew growing up? How, how do you compare and contrast who you are now as a Mannerite against who you were then uh, in those, you know, early formative years? Hmm. Um, I think it, that's sort of an evolving thing. I think it's a continually evolving, continually evolving thing. I mean, I don't accept that, but accept evolution, you know, that's a controversial oh, thing. Like, Andrew, you're not saying that, uh, that we're all, you know, you don't believe in that evolution business, do you? That we're all, you know, descended from monkeys or something. You don't believe men are descended from apes? Uh, well, I, uh, the, did that Abe have a tail? Well, a short one. Oh, well, okay. I, I could buy that then. Okay, How many sure. Abe's there in the harder book? Yo, yo, oh yeah, yeah. Like in the harder book, there's, I don't know, I haven't counted them recently. Uh, but I'm sure we're up to, I don't know, 30,000 Abe's? More than in the wild, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so you're... So how, how, how does Andrew today uh, and his Mennonite-ness and, you know, partial lack thereof, how does that compare to uh, Andrew as, you know, a child, as a young, as a teen, as a young man? What's, what's, that, what's that process of evolution been like for Andrew? You know, in some ways, I'm more of a Mennonite than I was then, in some ways, less. And it really depends how you define those terms, and it's really complicated and complex or, or you know whatever you know so i mean i brought it up before you know when i was a teenager i would have thought that pacifism for example was totally ridiculous totally ridiculous and now i mostly i would say i i subscribe to it so in that way i guess i'm more of a mennonite but there's loads of things in which i which i would not agree with you know some of the things that i would have held to, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, a lot of restrictions on people's lives and uh, social issues and even evolution from apes, all sorts of things <laughs> that uh, that my views have, have, have changed on, you know, so um, am I more of a Mennonite now than I was? 20 years ago, well, it depends how you define that. Um, I would say yes and yes and no. <laughs> if you define a Mennonite by having conservative views on social issues, then I'm less of a Mennonite than I was uh, 30 years ago. But if you define it as some other things, I might be more, you know? So um, it, it really depends. Interesting. Uh, so it sounds like, you know, the, like, what is it that the, the deeper, harder things you, uh, uh, they, that you put more thought into, that they're more meaningful to you, whereas maybe some of the simpler things, you know, uh, that, you know, people just kind of default, uh, to like the, the conservative social values, uh, you know, those ones, 
it almost sounds like there is a little bit of a differentiation. I don't know. Are there any? Are there any simple issues? Uh, well, I guess that's hard to define. What's what's a simple issue that defines a Mennonite? You know, it just sounds like uh, the 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 pieces that you hold on to, uh, they are ones that you have uh, thought deeply about. You know, uh, you know whether it's Coke or Pepsi, that's not important. But uh, the actual value in, uh, you know, it's not that you know, killing people is bad because the Bible says it's bad, but, you know, what's what's the deeper reason for it? I, I, am I, am I you know, painting the right kind of picture there? You're getting pretty deep there, Stephen Harder. I do. I go deep all the time. When I was a kid, I don't even know if I would have religious, religiously or whatever, would have used the term Mennonite to describe myself. I would have said I was Mennonite, you know, because I had, you know, I ate uh, Schmontfat and Veranica and stuff like that. But the things that in my head I associated with what being a Mennonite meant uh, religiously, I, I rejected. And I would have probably been more uh, conventionally like what people would call evangelical or whatever. And, uh, now I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of problematic aspects of that. So, so when I say I sort of have evolved or changed or whatever, I'm not sure if it's really so much um, necessarily Mennonite-specific things that I'm reacting to. It's really hard to d differentiate, okay, is that uh, a Mennonite thing that I'm reacting to or is that like an evangelical thing I'm reacting to and, you know one represents what Mennonites are or whatever. It's, it's a really it's a, it's a difficult thing. It's kind of like, you know, um, do, you ever, do you ever think like um, okay, let's say when you're a kid and uh, so you might get the impression that people now swear more, like curse more uh, than they used to. And maybe they do, I don't know. Or is it just that your perception is different? In other words, when you were a child Nobody swore around you. They avoided doing it, but the maybe all the adults did, and you just didn't notice because you were a kid and they didn't swear around you. So that I often thought that is it is it society that has changed, or is it just my perception of things that has changed? And so the same sort of thing applies to this issue, where sometimes I I have trouble knowing, like, okay, is this thing that I'm reacting to is it really a Mennonite thing, or is it not? And, you know, so it's a, it's a really difficult, you know, question to answer because uh, a lot of the Mennonite churches in southern Manitoba have become evangelical, and that's not necessarily, I'm not criticizing that, but when they become evangelical in the American sense that we see down south there, that's highly problematic. And then I would say that they're no longer actually Mennonites. So this is probably getting way too deep for your show here, Stephen Harder, but, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a, my convoluted, uh, messy thoughts on that, but it's, it's, it's difficult, yeah, to have a really uh, succinct answer there. So are you, are you suggesting then that uh, Mennonites haven't always been evangelical in nature? Um, no, they haven't, um, especially not, uh, 
if what you're defining evangelicals, all these words have definitions and people don't always use the same ones, but especially not if you're defining evangelical by, uh, you know, sort of American style, heavily right wing political, politically, uh, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I've studied enough about the history of Mennonites in globally, but also in, in Southern Manitoba, uh, to know, for example, just an example of this, um, that Mennonites in Manitoba routinely voted liberal until just a few decades ago. Uh, the great um, L.A. Barkman, who was mayor of Steinbeck Plus, also the MLA, was a member of the Liberal Party. No. Yes. Can you believe it? Well, if he was like David, if Tony, then I'd believe you, but... Uh, <laughs> interesting. And yet, and, and so, yeah, it's curious what would cause that shift then. Uh, there, I mean, you really want to... Into, I know the answer to some of this. Do you really want to go into all that? or Give it to me, man. I haven't had someone, you know, to talk political with on the podcast before, so I'm interested to know your thoughts for sure. Okay, well, my understanding is, and this a lot of this is coming from Ralph Friesen's work, who's a, a former Steinbeck resident who lives in BC now, but he's done a lot of work on the history of, uh, of uh, Southern Manitoba and Steinbeck in particular. And um, so if you want more details on this and more accurate information, then well, I might mess it up. But, uh, you want more accurate information, look up some of the articles and books that he's written uh, that, that talk about this. But basically, there was a shift from the sort of traditional, in Steinbeck anyways, they would have been quite conservative, but sort of traditional Mennonite churches, you know, like, I'm talking about, like, you know, men on one side, women on the other, no music in church, um, and long dress, plain dress type Mennonites. Uh, there's a shift from that to through the evangelical churches in the 50s and 60s when there were a lot of revival, revival American revivalists and, and local people too, that um, you think like, why would they come to Southern Manitoba where people were already primarily Christian, primarily religious? Why would that be the big place for revival movements to come? Like you'd think that they would go somewhere where the people weren't particularly religious. But no, they 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 were very popular in southern Manitoba. There was a building, a Quonset, um, right here, kind of like what is now downtown Steinbeck, called the Tabernacle, where these revival uh, meetings were held. And these are very kind of like you know Billy Graham style. It wasn't it wasn't Billy Graham, but Billy Graham style things. And uh, that movement radically changed. The churches and theology of the people in not just in Steinbeck but throughout this area. Uh, that's one factor. Uh, there's other, you know, there's other factors, you know, politically why they, you know, sort of changed or whatever. But that's one of the biggest factors. Now, is that is that bad or is that good? I mean, that depends on your point of view. Certainly, like depends what you're sort of comparing it to. Like if, if your option is if your option is this if your option is 
you're going to go to a church for men on men are on one side, women on the other, and you have to wear plain clothes, and you can't have any instruments because that's a sin. Or your other option is very charismatic. And this is a false dichotomy. I admit this, but let's say the other option is very charismatic and a light show and a rock band in front and very sort of like repetitive, emotionally driven worship songs. Uh, which which one's better? Which is is one pro progress over the other? Is one regressive compared to the other? I think in some so sometimes I tackle those kind of issues on the Daily Bonnet where I'm like, they both have flaws. They both, when I look at them, both of those things have serious flaws. So, um, so this change in Southern Manitoba, where if people come to Southern Manitoba and they expect to see Mennonites, what the picture in, they have, in their head of what Mennonites are is not at all like what you're going to see here. But we used to be like, 70, 80 years ago, we used to be, when, when uh, J.R. Friesen brought the first car into Steinbeck and started the first auto dealership in Steinbeck, which is now the Automobile City, he was excommunicated from the Kleinegemeinde, which later became the EMC, which is actually part of that process of uh, becoming evangelical. Um, yeah, he was excommunicated from the church for driving a car. And then, you know, now Steinbeck, like, it's totally normal here it's like people wouldn't even notice that it's any different here everybody's driving cars now yeah look at that there's very little uh horse shit on the streets anymore on the streets just online yeah, exactly just we, we that's a i might yeah that's a good one <laughs> all the horse shit is online now instead of on the streets <laughs> I expect that to see. I expect to see that headline in my Facebook feed uh, within the next month. Hereafter. Yeah, you might see that. It might, there might be a news item about that. So, uh, when I look at the, a, a transition like that, I kind of go, "Huh, which one's better?" Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. If, and you know, and part of like my novel, Once Removed, which is mostly a comedy. But, uh, and it doesn't tackle religion so much, but it definitely deals with the issue of like change and progress. And is it progress? You know, like, is it progress? If you, if you demolish all the old buildings in a town, uh, put up new, nice, fancy ones, is that progress? Well, you got nicer, better, cleaner, nicer, or beautiful looking buildings that aren't falling apart. But you also lose something in that, pro in that process. Like you lose like, uh, history, heritage, stories, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that's one of the things for me as a, as a satirist. People think that I, that I am opinionated. And of course, I am opinionated. But people think that I, that I have very strong opinions about issues. And I sort of do in a way. But on the other hand, I always see flaws in everything. Like you could tell me a, a position, a viewpoint or whatever. And I'm constantly finding flaws. I, I'm talking about myself too, like in my own thoughts, my own opinions about things. I am not a hundred percent confident about any opinion that I have. I always like, well, there's that counter argument. There's that flaw. Like there's nothing. I, I, I could tell you my opinion and I could tell you it very passionately, but I would also doubt it at the same time simultaneously, even if I didn't articulate that doubt. And I think that's, 
you sort of have to be that way as a satirist, but it also was helpful for satire. Like, because you're, nothing is perfect. There's always flaws somewhere. And so that's kind of with, with this issue too is, is like where I, maybe why I had trouble answering your question is that, um, that these things are like so complex that um, I have a hard time giving like an emphatic answer to anything. Hmm. I see. I see. Like you're saying that nothing is perfect except for the Bible, of course. <laughs> yeah. And our interpretations of it are equally. <laughs> Absolutely. Without flaw. Other than those MBers, you know, they're, they're, you know, certainly paddling their ship down the wrong Creek, if you know what I mean, but. You know, okay. So you talked about the interpretation of the Bible and different denominations. I don't know if you want to go there. Let's go there. I think we're here already. Right. Okay. Well, so here's the thing is like, um, I think, you know, people think that, you know, sort of if people lump, like, let's say, let's say you have this overarching category of Christians and under that you have Mennonites and under Mennonites, you have MBs, EMBs, blah, 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 blah. But I think that you could continue narrowing down and narrowing down. And if you really, you know, uh, question people and you, you narrowed down and narrowed down, you'd find, and this is not any kind of brilliantly original insight on my part, but I think that you'd find that no two people, even people that are supposedly part of the same church or same religion, agree. Uh, even on things that they claim they agree about, if you were to take every word in that sentence and say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Uh, like, if you would just take some of the, like, historic creeds of the church, like, the Mennonites have the, the, the Schleitheim Confession. I'm not even making that up, up. That's really what it's called. And if you were to look at each item on that list, and then people, you might have two people that say, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Another person say, oh, yeah, I agree with that. But if you look at every word and every item on li that list and ask people what they mean by that, then I think you'd find, and it wouldn't take very long, that, and I think this is a Gandhi, Gandhi said this, and if I'm misquoting Gandhi, I apologize to Gandhi. Uh, but uh, uh, there are as many uh, religions in the world as there are people. So we have mm. these Mennonites or whatever, and they have some use. They do tell us something, but they don't tell us as much as we think they do because everyone, everyone's you know everyone's different, and everyone has different views on all sorts of things and you know even two people that are very similar are not as similar as they seem mm. except of course for a man and his wife then they are of one yeah. mind they're completely the two become one flesh and then they, they never disagree on anything isn't nope. that amazing how that works Stephen Harder well so long as she knows her place then absolutely they never disagree so on anything with Tina Harder what's that your relationship with, with your wife, Tina. Oh, we don't. <laughs> that No, you're thinking of my sister, Tina. That's my oh, sister, Tina. Well, it could also be your wife. You're Mennonite. Oh, yo, it's, that's true. There's no... It doesn't cousin. say anywhere in the Bible that that's not allowed there. But, you know, so long as we all remember that uh, who the head of the house is, just like who the head of the church is, uh, it's not the Pope. I'll tell you that much. That's the thing with men that's the thing with Mennonites is they have no hope. Uh 
I mean, of course, we don't have the Pope, but we have no even head of church. There isn't any. And and so this thing that well, I was... I thought it was that plat there. Oh, well, yeah, I guess there's... You mean you mean Senator Don Platt? Oh, yeah, that's who I meant. You know, for the longest time, I was pretty sure that uh, someone that, uh, you know, I went to high school with, that her dad, he was Don Platt. And when I heard about Senator Don Platt, like, oh, my, that's suddenly, you know, she's, you know, I'm all kinds of famous now because I went to school with the daughter of Senator Don Platt. And then it was only this past year I realized that, oh, oh, no, no, no. He's like plumber Don Platt. He is not a senator. I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm no longer so famous anymore. But it could have been the same, was it? I don't know. It could be the same person. No, no. I, I confirmed. Plumber. We had a good laugh over it. Okay, all right. I, I don't know. Maybe he does plumbing on the side, too. Maybe that's what he's good at fixing. They always appoint plumbers as senators, don't they? Uh, I, think I think that there has to be a quota. The plumbers on the... How, who else is going to fix the plumbing at the House of Commons there? Exactly. Right. they got to have someone there, and it has to be unbiased. Not um, the House of Commons. I don't want anyone saying, you got the politics sent in the Senate, not the House of Commons. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the upper house, right? So, right. you know... They, upper they house, that means the plumbing better be really good because they, it drains onto... No. You don't want that to be coming down on, you know, Prime Trudeau Minister Trudeau okay. there. God bless him. Someone's got to, right? Yeah. Yo. So, Andrew, tell me, like, so you're you're making these wry observations with a W, not an R. Well, I guess there's an R as well. No E in it. Uh, these wry observations. Do, do you feel, do you feel like you belong within you know, the Mennonite fold, or do you feel like an observer within of the fold? Or how, how, what does it feel like for you, knowing that the labels kind of fit and you're kind of, you know, and you spend, you know, a lot of time, you know, making these, you know, thinking about these things and observing. Do you, do you feel like you're within, or do you feel that there's still a that you're somewhat apart, even though you are in. I I would say. I would I would say I mean although I I talked about how you know I don't necessarily fit in some, you know in some different ways, and I don't necessarily agree with all you know doctrine and stuff like that. But I do feel I do feel like I I am I do feel like I'm within. And I think it's only the satire part of me that feels uh, uh, like an out, like an outsider, sort of. You know, like as a person, I feel like an insider. As a satirist, I sort of feel like you have to be a little bit of an outsider. Like um, you have to be well, an insider and an outsider. Like I remember when I first started the Daily Bonnet, I remember people sending emails when they didn't know who wrote it or whatever. And people send emails and they were very concerned and they said things like, this better be, I sure hope that all the people that are writing this website are Mennonites. You know, like as if, you know, like, uh, we wouldn't want outsiders making these jokes, uh, we, which is like a classic Mennonite thing to be concerned about because probably any, you know, whatever, you know, Mennonites are very concerned about only we can make fun of, you know, so, right, but, or make fun of ourselves or whatever. Okay. 
But my my response to that, I don't think I I don't know if I responded to it. I don't know if I responded to the email, but my response to it in my head anyways was, okay, first of all, yes, it is a Mennonite writing this. And then secondly, um, uh, uh, would a non-Mennonite even be capable of writing this? Um, because there's all these jokes and inside things and details that I don't think um, an actual outsider uh, would be capable of doing. So that's where I feel like as a satirist, I'm an insider. I, as a person, I feel like I'm on the inside, although, as I said, I don't agree with everything. As a, as a, although I feel like I'm on the inside, my feeling, I never feel like on the outside, but, but as a, as a satirist, I kind of have to be on the inside because you have to get the details, but on the outside, uh, in order to like look at those details and grab hold of them and, and, uh, you know, it's observational humor, right? So you kind of have to be an outsider to be an observer. Uh, you know, in in the best of the bonnet, in the back, there's uh, some <clears throat> people are going to think that I'm spotting now, but this is there's a little section in the back that's uh, sincere, um, or I have like sort of a the, the true story of Daily Bonnet, and I'm not I'm not even joking here. And there's also a, a couple uh, essays by. Scholars, and I'm not even, I, I know every time I talk, people are thinking, I'm just making this up. This is just a joke. I'm not, this is, this is real. But there's a, a couple scholarly essays in the back. This one's by, uh, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but it, it is re related to what we were talking about. Okay, this is, this is by uh, Robert Zacharias, who's a scholar um, and uh, at uh, York University in Toronto. And he wrote one of the, short they're very short essays at the back and he said this kind of maybe answers your question a little bit at least from his observation this you know is uh in detail and in tone unger positions himself squarely within his community reveling in the in, tel in the telling eccentricities of a people he is only partially embarrassed to call his own and in offering satire for rather than simply of the mennonites he extends an underappreciated comic tradition in the pages of Mennonite literature, affirming the community even where his jokes are sharp enough to sting. I would say that's a pretty astute observation of what I'm doing, although I would probably not say that I'm doing this consciously, but it's I think it's accurate. Interesting. What what uh what What's with that self-depreciating humor that that the Mennonites enjoy? Like, what what is it that is it that element of you know? There's that command to be you know in the world, but not of the world. And is it that element of if we can be spotzing about ourselves, then you know we we we're acknowledging that yeah, we're definitely a part from the world and it's kind of our inside joke our you know like a almost a pedigree to say yeah yeah if, if we couldn't uh laugh about ourselves being you know like this then then you know that would almost be a mark against us is that is that where the is that well, the, the root of it or what think about and i don't know if this is I, i'm gonna i'm gonna 
theorize something here, and it might not be true. So somebody might come back and say, Andrew, you got that wrong. According to my studies, you're way wrong. Okay, that's fine. But I'm just going to put it out there. Think about this. Never mind the Mennonites. Why do people in general, certain people, adopt self-deprecating humor as, as a thing that they do? Uh, why do people do that? And, and I, if I think of that for myself, um, when I was trying to think, when did I start doing that? Okay, hmm. probably as a teenager at some point, I think. I can remember doing that. Um, and I think it, it's probably a defense mechanism. Like, on an individual level, I'm not even talking about Mennonites here. It's a, just sort of a defense. You're, you're insecure about something, and then you kind of like, like, like this. Like, if you can make fun of yourself before anyone else can... And then there's nothing they, they can say that can, can harm you. You know, if you make the joke before the other guy does, then you've, ta you've, taken, you've, you've taken the sword right out of his... wherever you keep swords. <laughs> it's kind uh, of know, like the ending of... It's like the ending of Eight Mile, right? Not, not that I've ever seen that movie, but... I, <laughs> oh, boy. I think it's been a while. If you make that reference, it's been a while. I had seen that, but it's been a while since I've seen it. If you make I heard once. I heard two people uh, in line at the uh, IGA there. They were talking about the ending of Eight Mile and how, you know, in that last rap battle, then he just oh. uh, you know, takes the ammo from the other person by saying, yeah, here's all the things about me, you know, basically Grunthaler, uh, you know, yeah, uh, like that. And uh, what, and I'm, says who I am and what are you going to say about it? And, you know, this is not, you got nothing. You got nothing at that point. Yeah. Uh, you you take the ammunition away from from so I don't know if do you think there's something in Mennonite history specifically you know Russian Mennonites that um, has led to the adoption of this kind of self-deprecating humor. I'm not sure how universal the self-deprecating humor is either. I, I don't think all Mennonite humor is self-deprecating, but certainly there are uh, certainly that's part of it. So I, I wonder if so I don't know if that's a product of me, just my own, you know, whatever insecurities or whatever as a kid or whatever, or if that's like a whole, like being a Mennonite thing, that's why I'm like that. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you, if you have jokes that, uh, are at the expense of somebody else, you're going to eventually alienate people. So you got to make the jokes at the expense of yourself or your or people if you want to call it that you know oh yeah that's part of it too eh yeah yeah if you, yeah that, that i wrote helps. my other theory about this and i wrote about this once in a in a journal uh uh like a scholarly journal and they printed it so that must have meant <laughs> no i just mean that I just mean like it was a peer-reviewed journal, so that means like oh well then that's a lot that different. Then. Theory is true then, right? <laughs> but uh, no, that doesn't mean that. But I, I was uh, uh, that um, that perhaps um, the humor stems from, or, or or at least the reluctance to have sort of outward-directed humor stems from perhaps from pacifism.
You don't attack other people. Okay, but you still have that humor instinct. You have to. Human beings do. And so maybe that's why with Mennonites it's inward pointed because at least it's not, it's, it, in a way, and I'm kind of being serious here, it's nonviolent. It keeps in the tradition of nonviolence if the humor is directed at yourself or your people group or your family or whatever. I don't know. So now also people get sensitive about that. People don't like that, you know, also like you're airing well, your dirty or whatever. And like to double down on that, not only is it inappropriate to be, you know, making fun of other people because that's, that might be misconstrued. Right. Uh, but you know, uh, community is so important to the, the Mennonite people, whether, you know, they're, they're trying to drain swamps in Prussia or, you know, survive a, uh, you know, blizzard on the prairie here. If you don't have community, you, you don't survive. You can't do it on your own. And mm -hmm. so I think in order uh, to maintain community, there has to be a lot of repression that goes on because if you make waves, if you disrupt community, uh, then, you know, you are endangering everybody, you know. And maybe uh, that's also just uh, a, a safety valve, if you will, from from that element of repression, self-repression, where, you know, I can't tell you what I really think about this, but, you know, I can schputz about this, and maybe maybe it's passive-aggressive, maybe it isn't. But, you know, maybe that's, that's an ingredient in that, that, you know, loaf of sourdough bread as well. Oh, okay. Well, I never, I, I never thought about satire as being a product of Mennonite passive aggression. Because Mennonites are definitely known for being passive aggressive, right? Uh, because we can't be violent, so we're passive aggressive instead. So maybe the satire comes from that tendency maybe. to for passive aggression. Maybe. But the community thing you talked about is true, too, I think, because uh, Mennonites uh, have traditionally lived in very closely knit communities that were held together by, unfortunately, patriarchy, by rules, by tradition, by religion, by oh. necessity, uh, farming, you know, all these sorts of things, you know, they would, like, you know they had a communal pasture at the end of the village and they shared, uh, you know, some of these things were actually, you know, positive things, you know, they shared resources with each other and stuff like that. But as soon as you break that community, um, then what, or if someone doesn't fit in that community, then what? <laughs> and so, uh, so does humor serve to, uh, bring the community together or to tear it apart, I think it can do both, and sometimes simultaneously, because it depends on how individuals react to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's your favorite Mennonite joke? <laughs> okay, there's a... <laughs> What's my favorite Mennonite joke? Well, it's not that good of a joke, but, you know, like, what's the, di <laughs> what's the difference between... Um, Mennonite and a canoe. What is the difference between a Mennonite and a canoe? Canoe's tip. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know why you always uh, bring two Mennonites with you when you go fishing, right? <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, I forget the punchline, but how does that one go? <laughs> because if you only bring one, then he'll drink all your beer. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who are who are you know you know some of those uh, you know Mennonite authors influencers on you that that you know you that you kind of feel like maybe you're following in the footsteps of who who are those you know people who have kind of worn in this path a little bit that you're now uh, exploring on your own who 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 are your influencers that way well you know if we're specific i mean i'm influenced by uh, you know a number of writers that are not just not just mennonites but if we're talking about mennonite writers i mean it's pr- it's been pretty amazing um I definitely think Mennonites, especially, you know, in, in Manitoba, have punched above their weight in terms of writing. Like, it, it's, it's kind of, it's very impressive the number, considering how small our population is, how many, like, like we've got the David Berg and Miriam Taves who are, like, superstars. Um, uh, and and um, Rudy Weeb, Armin Weeb, so, so many great... Uh, and that's just, you know, there's many, many more. Laura Duick, Diebrandt, uh, many great writers out there. And I'm now, now I'm feeling like, oh boy, if I don't keep listing more, more than I'm going to leave people out. But I would say, you know, for me personally, um, because he used, you know, he's sort of a pioneer in terms of Mennonite humor. Uh, Armin Wee would be a big influence on me. Although I, I, I would say if you read my book, my books and his books, there you see some similarities, but they're quite different. I think our we have some similarities in our style of humor, but they're also I don't think you would mistake my writing for his or his for mine. I think they're they're they're, they're different in that regard. Uh, and then of course you know Miriam Taves because you know I I, I don't I wouldn't say her books are comedies they're certainly not comedies and if anything i mean the tragedies a lot of some of her books anyways but she always has humor in them even in some of her darkest books uh like uh all my all my puny sorrows you know which is a very sad uh, moving heart heart-wrenching book um but even in there there's moments of humor like dark humor but there's one scene where um uh, there's a kid at a, his grandmother's or somebody's funeral and he starts sifting through the ashes. There's a cremation. He starts sifting through the ashes while the woman or, or whoever is holding him is, is like doing the free villagus, you know, at a funeral, at like the open mic at the funeral. And it's very funny. Um, but that book, it's definitely comedy but you know but she has this way of 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 uh putting humor where it where it needs to be and where it should be and enhancing the books in in that way so um yeah i mean so i love all her her books for sure too and she's a big and she showed that you could come from steinbeck and actually be a writer you could come from this little insignificant town and um, and you could write about it. That's the thing, you know. 
you could write about Steinbeck and people would want to read it. She 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 shattered that wall because you know people might think you know you have to set your stories in unless you're from some big city or some place more exotic or significant no one's going to want to read your books and she showed that there's just as much and she continues to show that there's just as much drama and uh, interesting characters and so on in a small Mennonite town on the Canadian prairies as there is in New York City. So, yeah, I mean, back. I I don't know. I don't. I think. I don't think if she was writing about Wankler, I think she would have, you know, half as much to say, honestly, because that's <laughs> she might have to, there. Might have twice as much to say, I think, if she's writing about Wankler. Different stuff, I think. I don't know, but oh, maybe some of the same stuff. I don't know. Yeah, David Bergen's another, you know, fascinating brilliant writer and I've read a number of his books too although his books are not uh, maybe I'm missing the humor they're definitely not they haven't influenced me in a humor way his books are uh, uh, much more uh, serious uh, so are Miriam's but his books uh, I think don't have uh, a lot of um, they're not very light hearted um, they're heart they're heart wrenching and thought provoking and, and brilliant um, but uh, I don't mention him as when people ask me my writer influences. I don't mention him as much just because people associate me with being like the funny guy, and his books are not funny. Uh, at least any of the ones that I've read. Maybe I'm maybe I'm sorry if I've missed some that are comedies or whatever. Interesting. So if someone wanted to, you know, purchase one of your books and uh, get to know you and your writing style a little bit better. Uh, where can they do that? That'll send the most, uh, you know, uh, you know, nickels straight to your pocket. There, where where would you love to see people, uh, you know, acquiring your material from? Honestly, no matter where you buy it. Well, okay, <laughs> if you're waiting for it to go for twenty five cents at the MCC store, then I get no money. If that's your concern, but honestly, wherever you buy it, a new book, I get the same amount of money. So that oh, really? but. But I think it's great if you can support, uh, uh, like a, you know, we all know about the big websites online or whatever, and and they get they make a lot of money. So I think it's great if you can support like a local, uh, local bookstore. Like I, I don't know where all I don't know Stephen Hart or how large your audience is and where they all are located. But so so I'm not going to list every big bookstore you know in the country, but you know in Winnipeg, Nellie Robinson. Uh, common word at, at CMU in Steinbeck, the the Mennonite Heritage Village bookstore. Uh, what about at Halls? Are they carrying your books at Halls? There, did you hear about the guy that got his book banned by Halls? No, I didn't. Yeah, I think it was a boon to his sales because he, you know, you get your book banned. You know, so maybe I should. I don't know if my <laughs> if my book exactly books. I, I don't think they're for sale. I don't know. Maybe they are for sale there. I don't. I don't think I, they're not for sale there, to my knowledge. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, no. I, I, don't I bet you, if you put like a scandalous cover on it and then left a copy uh, for them to preview there, you might get it banned, and maybe that would help you out. Get I've always thought that 
what do you think about this for a slogan for Hull's bookstore, a Christian bookstore? A hull of a good bookstore. What do you think? You know, one time uh, we were uh, we we're uh, going to have some time with Gra with Oma, you know, uh, living at the manor over there, and we brought, uh, you know, we had some chips and dip with us, and she was looking at the dip, and she was trying to make heads or tails out of the name of this Haluva Good Dip. What is Haluva Good uh Dip? She did not understand why. Why they would name their dip Haluva Good Dip. <laughs> Let's... Did she like the dip? I think she did. I, thought she... I think she thought it was very good dip. And then from that day forward, we refer to it as Haluva Dip. Zayagut Dip, they should have called it. I remember the time, and I remember the time, and this is some good other Manitoba... Awesome. But it's news. It's true. And I can tell you this because this is true. Uh, and it can go out there because it's a true story. I'm recounting it to the best of my ability. And somebody, anyone that works for... Uh, I don't know if you'll want to include this or not. But I'm going to tell you a true story. Uh, um, I remember when I worked for the, the trust plant there, which was owned by... Who owned that? Penner. Penner, right? Mm, oh, yo, yeah. Yeah, E.G. Penner. And E.G. Penner also... Uh, yeah, E.G. Penner was uh, still living at that time. And I remember he got a letter in our pay jobs saying that maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say the name of the dentist. I won't go that far. But there was a certain dentist in town in Steinbeck, who had built a big house and, and, and this is a quote, had not purchased one stitch of material from them. And it, the, the letter ended with, United We Stand. And the idea was that he sent this letter to all the employees saying that, that they should not get your teeth cleaned by this dentist because he built this big house and hadn't bought any material from this particular company and maybe bought it from C.T. Lowens, whatever, C.T. Lowens or whoever, uh, and um, I've been going to that dentist ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Not a single stitch. There must have been hundreds of these letters sent out any, any employee would have got that letter so, so i'm sure there's other people listening here that remember getting that in like oh when was that yeah like late 90s early 2000s about 20 years ago <laughs> well you know we all know that you know pen or people help you build it better dot 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 dot, dot. and that's a promise <laughs> That's true. That's a proper use of the ellipses, right? Yeah. Well, technically, an ellipsis only has three dots. Mm. And then when you do that three times in a row, then it's extra poignant, right? So nine dots? No, it's three. Anything more, more or less than that is grammatically incorrect. How many but do they no, have? Like, it's the trinity, right? Three threes. <laughs> they have nine dots on their sign? I I, uh, I haven't I don't know if I can count that high. Pretty close there. 
maybe a couple of them blew off in that hurricane of 07, you know. The Manitoba hurricane. No, I, oh, I think uh, my hymn-sing program is about to begin, so maybe I should uh, wrapping up this phone call here. But thank you so much, Andrew, for the chitty chat. I really appreciate it. Uh, just love hearing your insight into into you know the Mennonite culture and and how you fit and don't fit within within that paradigm. I think that's it's really important for us to hear those voices as well. You know? So this has been a real great conversation. Thanks for taking the time for that. Yeah, thanks. And thanks to you, Stephen Harder. And thanks to uh, Mrs. Martins, who's listening in on the party line. I can hear your breathing. Mm. Yo, yo, thank you again for listening in, Ms. Martins. And hopefully, you know, the doctor can help you clear up that res upper respiratory tract issue you're having. If, uh, if you want to connect with people, other people who will maybe uh, find themselves as black sheep within the Mennonite fold here, you can, of course, find us over there on the Facebook group. Uh, and then we'll be back here next week with yet another phone call conversation with someone else. Uh, but until then, this is Stephen Harder reminding you that underneath our Sunday best, we're all naked. We'll talk to you later.